What's going on, everybody? It's episode 15 of the Fly Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Martin Novak. For this week, I have Richard Shelton on as a guest. Uh, he's an awesome guy. I got a chance to meet him this summer, thanks to Josh Kidder, for an awesome day of flying up by Big Bear. And uh, he's a guy behind Multicopter Builders. He is a frame designer. He's got his own line of motors. Uh, he's a long-range OG, and he lives out in the desert, so he's got some pretty demanding terrain to test all his gear on. In this episode, we talk about setups, his theory on motors, and how to get smooth footage, how to deal with big props, how he got started in FPV, why he started Multicopter Builders, and the current state of the hobby as usual. So I hope you guys enjoy that part of the episode, and Richard was also kind enough to send us with a promo code for his site, so you can enter code PODCAST on multicopterbuilders.com to get a 10% discount, so make sure to go check that out and get some sweet long-range gear. Enjoy. Okay, perfect. Dude. Start. All right, ask me a question. We're starting right now. Go. Okay. How would you define Multicopter Builders as a brand? Uh, Multicopter Builders as a brand is a pretty much a niche market. It's a uh, quad type setup for not the average person, more of someone who's been flying for a while, who loves extreme power, crazy setups, and like mid-range mountain surfing or areas that are bigger and more inducive to more powerful setups. Yeah, and what's do you offer a five-inch frame? Yeah, I have a um, – my uh, 229 V2 actually comes with 5.5-inch um, okay. arms for, for those props. But, like, if somebody wanted 5-inch arms, we could do it. But here's the problem. You know, when you've flown as long as I have, like, the power, you you, you definitely get used to having a lot of power. And I had two of the quads set up with the same exact motors – and I had one on 5.5 props and one on 5-inch props, and the difference was so huge that I never flew 5-inch again. Yeah, so it was just, like, game over. And I feel like that's really, you know, like, I've been out to the area you live one time, and I totally get it. Like, it's yeah, just, and you're covering so much ground. There's not a lot of, you know, like, direction change kind of flying, like the juice kind of park, bando you know, where you're kind of just dancing around a bit. It's more just like mobbing, like just ridge lines and big rocks and cliffs and huge, huge territory. Absolutely. Like um, my buddy Eric Abadessa, one of my team pilots, he's from Florida, and he used to rip a lot of parks. And when he got out here and flew this area, he like totally got my style frames, my motor combos, and just kind of realized, wow, no wonder this is exactly what he made because – it's a totally different flying experience. You need a totally different setup. And like you like you said, there's not much trees out here. There's a bunch of – there's palm trees and stuff and a few parks and stuff, but just mainly just mountain surfing. And um, I'm actually super glad that it's catching on now because yeah. it's, you know, kind of went away for a while, and now it's all like the rage again. Yeah, I feel like – I mean I feel like it happens – Every, like, fall and spring and stuff when you can't really hit, like, winter when you can't really hit the parks, everybody kind of, like, it's like the tiny whoop season of long range. People are like, all right, we should, like, go to the mountains and, like, go, you know, like, go hit up some epic spots. Like, in the summer, every spot, you know, like, not where you live, but where a lot of people live, every spot is very attainable. But in the winter, it's kind of just, like, blah. 
Like that's how it is for me out here yeah. in Colorado. Like I'm like in the, I love the mountains in the summer, but there's people up there a lot of the time, and it's just a different vibe. And in the winter, like the powder coated trees with like you know like powdered uh, sugar dusted with snow is like so epic. Totally epic, and that was that's a good point that you bring up. Um, I live in a resort town here in Palm Springs, and it, like the summer times, the dead season and winters like full blown craziness but our winters out here average around uh 70 degrees during the day so it's warm that's but you can't fly in parks like that like there's dog walkers everywhere you just can't just go and unleash on a park and like hit someone in the forehead at 80 miles an hour you know what i mean so that's basically (laughs) what's actually pushed me out to the mountains because it's basically i got tired of people complaining about drones and dog walkers and I'm going to hit somebody. And I didn't feel comfortable just like totally getting crazy in a park anyway, especially without a spotter or something. So I just started hitting the mountains and just like get away from the public. And it's so much better. Just, it's just easier to fly, less drama. And you could just rip as hard as you can. Do you, like, I know you're all about the desert and that's where you live, but like, do you ever dream about hitting like big mountains and like 12,000 feet and like that kind of flying? Um, I mean, we have some pretty big mountains around here, but I don't think I really have the big enough balls to take on those big mountains. You know what I mean? I get too nervous when I start flying anything past like a mile and a half and stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, you, like the day we flew together, it was funny, like watching you because like you guys were like, everybody hit the same lines and like ripped it, but you guys were so much more like. All right, well, if we head at it, like, this way, you know, and, like, let me point my ground station that way, like, you were very, like, calculated about it. Yeah, absolutely, because I've, like, come close to, like, losing a lot of quads. Thank God in six years I've only lost two quads. But, like, it's, like, whenever you send it, you got to, like, make sure everything is good to go. And you see my ground station, that Hexversity monster thing. Like, yeah, it looks like you're with. trying to fucking <laughs> back end the Pentagon with that thing. <laughs> I know. I don't even freaking like take any chances. I want to see through everything in a full 360, two miles around me. You know what I mean? People go, what the hell is that thing? You turn it on and it's just like vibrating with noise. Yeah. Yeah. Your freaking body heats up with radiation and you're just feeling a little buzzed off it because it's just like, you know. Yeah, you just got to hook, you just plug in the graphics card, it'll boost it. Yeah, it's freaking awesome, but. Yeah, that's um. People ask me all the time about ground station because everyone goes, "Hey, what goggles you fly?" And I'm like, "I fly Cinemizers," and they're like, "What are those?" Yeah, and I'm like, "Dude, there's... you ever seen Star Trek? It's like the black guy." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And like hardly anybody even flies those, and they've been out for a long time. And that's all I've flown for the last, you know, um, four or five years. And people go, whoa, those are 800 bucks. I said, I know, I got four pairs of them. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I just go to eBay, like get on the, get in on some of those biddings. The last one I won was $46 for a pair of those goggles. So, I mean, that's a steal. Even if you decide to resell them, that's a steal. Absolutely. So, but for a while, they like, uh, weren't making those anymore. So they actually, um, I actually started hoarding them. So that's how I have so many pairs because I didn't want to go without them. You know, so have you flown the other goggles? Then, like like HDS yeah, and like whatnot fat and, and sky zones and Yeah, they're blurry. Yeah, I can't stand them. They're they, they they're super blurry to me and the picture's so big that I'm like 
looking around inside the goggle because I'm so used to the smaller like lens and more clear. So it's just kind of a totally different thing, and I'm not willing to go back to those. Yeah, and it's all about what you're used to, right? Yeah, absolutely. Especially after four or five years, you're just used to what works for you. So yeah, and in like, dude, where you fly, like, like you were saying, it's not a park session, like. You crashing versus the average person on a flight day is like a whole different kind of crash experience. You know, like if someone like, heart crashes, they're like, oh man, three props and like a battery strap and you're like two arms, like GoPro lens, like your if environment is so harsh. Well, the environment's super harsh and over in the San Andreas Fault when you crash, like you can't even get your quad back. It's like risking your life because you try to climb up the hills and it's all made of sandstone and just collapses on itself. So it's like, it's really difficult to get it back. So rule number one, don't crash. And I tell these guys rule number one or rule number two, don't crash and don't cut the mountain. And every single time someone comes out and flies with me, they cut the mountain, they cut the ridge. So they cut their signal and they lose their FPV. And, you know, Josh Kidder was one. And my buddy Corndog was another. First time they came out and flew with me. And, you know, here we are in 110 degrees looking for this quad out in the middle of the desert. And he's just like, holy shit, bro. This is fucking crazy. Yeah. So. Yeah, shout out Corndog. He likes all my posts. <clears throat> most of them, I think. Yeah, he's. Yeah, Corndog's a good dude. Kidder's a good dude. Most of these guys in the industry are just really good dudes. Dude, Kidder's one of the, the most good dudes I've met, man. The dude's just like a teddy bear of a guy. He's so nice. He is. Yeah. He's totally nice. And I always try to drag him out here at least once a month. I, you know, blackmail him. Hey, you get out here or you're off the team, you know, blah, 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 you know, because he is a team pilot of mine. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, who are all your team pilots? Um, I got Eric Abadessa. I got uh, Rob Blank is what he goes by. Yeah. That's my buddy Corndog out here. Yep. I got uh, – Two guys in Colorado that Chris Teal, you know him, right? Uh, Westside? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And his buddy. Sorry, man. No, you're good, dude. Um, And a few other dudes in the mix. Um, They're all flying epics. Some of them prefer the 229. Some of them prefer the 7-inch. Some of them prefer the 262. I guess it all depends on the terrain that they live in, you know, or where they're at at the time to choose what tool they want to use or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Before we get into, like, all your frames and stuff like that, how did you start uh, Multicopter Builders? Like, what was your – why did you want to start it? What year was it? Like, how long has this been a thing? Um, I started Multicopter Builders about five years ago, and – it was when the information was like really scarce on the internet. Like most people were getting their information off um, RC groups and uh, that takes forever to get a response back. You got to wait for an email. You got to keep checking all that stuff. Well, Facebook was starting to like get real popular. So I made a room on Facebook and um, guys started joining it and they were asking questions on how to do stuff. And we kind of worked together as a team to like kind of get get guys um, quads up and running. That's why it's called multi-copter builders. And so it just started out as a regular room. But back in the day, like five five years ago, there wasn't very many shops out there. So you had to order everything from China, and it just took so long. So I decided to invest in just the small parts for the guys that were in my room, and it just grew into 
multi-copter builders and just kept on growing and growing and growing. And when you first got and into it, were you like developing, like, did you start with motors and frames right off the get-go or what was your first product? My first invention I made was um, for the DJI F550. I made aluminum arms that were twi- about two inches longer than DJI's normal arm. And I took their F550 from flying 12 minutes to 20 minutes by extending the arm using a huge motor, a 12-inch prop instead of a 10-inch prop, a lower KV, and a bigger battery on there. And we were able to get some really good flight times. And business was booming. I was selling a hell of a lot of arms. I was selling tons of T-motors, tons of T-motor props. We had the systems all worked out, pulling super clean film. And then one day, the Phantom 2 came out, and it was game over. <laughs> just night and day, it was like a light over. switch. Yeah, it just killed my business overnight. I took all my money that I ever made and invested in more to grow the store, and overnight it was just gone. Nobody needed to build an F-550 anymore because the Phantom 2 came out and was able to fly for 20 minutes. It was a rate to fly, had everything you needed and it basically made that 550 obsolete and boom that Nine. just totally thrashed my business yeah overnight that was like hardcore punch to the nuts <laughs> so and then how did you like adapt from there or take it more to like the fpv racer kind of world well even back then i got bored of flying the the um phantom like you know in every town there's like a couple attractions where you want to take your Phantom to like a waterfall here or mountain scene here. And after that's all used up, it gets boring. So I started flying that Phantom through the trees, FPV style. And I'm like, this thing's kind of sucks. Great idea. At the time, the TBS disco was starting to get hot. And I started flying one of those and uh, loading it up with 1.3 and uh, UHF and starting to tear up the local mountains around here. So that's where the fun really began. And I got so addicted, like, uh, I ended up spending $33,000 the first year on all this FPV stuff, and it just went crazy. Like, I was just, you know, that's like, crazy that, about, That's like you know, on par with, like, a heroin addiction, I think. <laughs> well, way worse, because I was just yeah. like, I don't even know where the money came from that I got it. I just knew that I had all these parts and just was, like, you know, just going crazy, so... I had a bunch of TBS discos, and I had the QAV 400, and then I made my own frame called the MB Epic 380, and it was an 8-inch frame and ran uh, T-Motor 2216, 1100 KV on 4S with 8-inch props, and it was fast. It it did the job. I was able to pull pretty clean film using the um, old NACE 32 with zero hard mounts and zero ND filters or anything like that, but back then the ESCs also had... um, caps in them and stuff like that and so it kept the system somewhat clean and uh that was one of the things that i think helped pull and clean film back in the day but so we flew those for a while and the people in my room were buying those and they were buying equipment off me and i was selling tbs and long range stuff and all that stuff and then one day this little tiny copter came out called the blackout we were like what the hell is this thing this thing's never gonna do very well i mean look how small yeah yeah and we were flying the 1806 motors and stuff and we're like you know i'm like this thing's never gonna do anything and i flew it and i was like damn this thing's pretty damn fun it's got 
kind of a lot of power for how small it is and stuff like that. Coming from like a 900 gram quad down to like a 500 was huge, even though the motors were smaller and stuff. And it was like we could start park flying back then and, you know, start like racing each other and stuff. And then it just took off, you know, like it just kind of evolved into, you know, just mayhem. Yeah, you're done after that. Once you have that moment, you know, like that, like, oh, shit, that's a thing. Yeah, exactly. You just fall in love, and then it just kind of goes just the whole evolution of just getting better motors, trying different combinations, trying different props, bigger motors, higher KV, lower KV, bigger cells, and just, like, everything. It's just like, wow. So um, I ended up uh, making my own frame after that. It was called the MB Epic 280 instead of the 380, and it was a 6-inch frame, but it could do 5-inch props. And I ended up uh, testing all kinds of motors. I made a uh, 2212 1800 KV, which people don't even know that I ever made that like four years ago. Um, I made a um, 2217 1300 KV. I made, uh, I was just trying all these different size stators and just like KVs and trying to figure out like how to get more power and more flight time. And it was just like, took me on a road of just like half the stuff didn't work. Half the stuff was okay. And then like the frame started getting lighter. The motor started getting more powerful. The prop started getting better. And it just evolved into a well-oiled machine where like everything just works better. The flight controllers became so much better. This is just an evolution over a, period of um, a couple of years and it was just like amazing to watch the transformation like you see these guys today that have been flying for six months and they rip yeah. because the quad is so much easier to fly than it used to be when we were on cc 3d and stuff man to fly rate mode it took some serious talent to keep that thing flying good and nowadays it's like these flight controllers are all tuned perfect and almost fly themselves yeah so it's, it's way a little easier. trip how like yeah, it's a real trip how um, the evolution has just come in so fast in five years, and it's amazing. But with that, you get a lot of hype. You get a lot of people pushing products that, you know, has a lot of hype behind them, but they fail. You know what I mean? They're not as great as they people portray them to be. I think so we see it happen like, way more than we see products that, like, you know, really – like, dude, I saw that thing on Facebook that someone was like, what's the most flop product? And you were like, Connex HD. Wasn't that you? Yeah. Yeah, that was me, dude. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 was I wholeheartedly like, agree with that. Like, that was a huge flop, man. Yeah, I mean, I, like, totally commend them for trying to bring that to the market. But it was so overly priced. They were basically selling that at cost just to get it off the ground. But it, the system just didn't work. When you went out too far, it just blacked out and you crash. I mean, it's just... It wasn't there like long range ground station, like 1700 bucks or something. Yeah. Something crazy. And these people aren't going to spend that much on that. I mean, no, you know, let's face it. I mean, there's a market for everything, but like, you, you know, have like they three have to sell quads on... pretty much. The price of well, I always said that the market's a lot smaller than people think. And if you're going to come out with an invention like that, you've got to sell tons of it. So you got to keep build get the price down, but the technology being new, it's hard to bring it down. And it just, it's just flopped. It didn't work. It was, there's a lot of like, I don't know, hype behind it. And they were giving out like, um, 
stuff to like team pilots to try to push it, push the hype, and it just like kind of fell on its face anyway. So yeah, what do you, what are some other hype products you think? Um, soft mounted motors. No, I actually I actually think soft mounted motors definitely help myself. I mean, I use them myself. I think still. Yeah, I still use them. Really. Yep. That might explain yeah. a lot, actually, about your footage. Well, I, you know, there isn't no magic wand to pull clean footage. What I say, you know, do is if if you could do, like, ten different things in little increments, if you put them all together, that makes the clean footage. There isn't just one thing. Like, you know, frame design's huge. Um, soft mounting's huge. Um, using a, a, like, 6,000 gyro totally helps with big props and big motor combinations. That makes sense. Um, caps, you got to put caps on everything. Um, running a ND filter, especially out here yeah. where we don't even have a cloud in the sky and the dirt is all one color, like just an off white or gray, you know what I mean, or tan. It's just like, it's so bad. It bleeds out. It's That's like, why I try to get up and fly early in the morning. It's like the set of every Western out. movie ever. Yeah, it, yeah, and back in 1960, yeah, it's just horrible. So, um, we like we never have clouds out here, so we got you have to use an ND filter definitely just to bring some color at minimum and slow down the shutter speed. Of course, that definitely helps with Jello and stuff. But there's like you know people always just say, hey, uh, what's your PID? And they think if they just you know PIDs, you throw the PIDs in there and it'll be flawless. It's not the case. You know, one thing, I never use 4-in-1 ESCs because you can't get the noise out of those systems. And for me, like, they're just not as trustworthy. And I run this huge power setup, so I don't really trust the 4-in-1s anyway. But the noise that comes off those, I find much more than single ESCs and stuff. And um, I'm kind of a creature of habit. What works, I'll stick with. And even if it's not the latest hype or any of that stuff, I don't need it if I'm pulling super clean film and I know it works and the, and the product's trustworthy to send out far and not have to worry about it falling out of the sky or whatever. Yeah, so, I guess that, I mean that's a big part of like where you live too is it's like it's not a park. It's like this shit's got to work every time and I don't want to have to think about it at all really after my test flight. Yeah, especially when you're pulling like crazy motor combinations like I do. Like my strongest setup is the – 2208 2550 Primo on 5.5 props with 5S. I mean, I could pull 240 amps at full, yeah, just you know, climb out. I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you have to have a setup that actually works really well. And I find that the SpeedX old school ESC is like basically indestructible. The 30 amp HV, that thing, throw some caps on that thing. And like, I've basically never blown one of those things up in like years. Like, it just doesn't happen. Those and, things are just like the most indestructible ESC I've ever seen in five years. And do you run D-Shot, Multi-Shot? I run D-Shot 600, and uh, my favorite board is one that's probably going to be out of like commission because the hype's not big enough for it, but it's my favorite board, and I've been trying to stock a lot of them in my store as long as the supply lasts, and that's the Tempest F4 all-in-one board. Those things are like, for me, they, I pull 240 amps on that board, never blow them up, ever. Don't have any problems with those things. They make a nice, clean uh, soldering setup. They look nice. 
one thing I do with that board, though, I do drill my own soft mounts and put the gummies in there, like like the race light board type thing in there. Pro tip. Yeah, that's definitely a pro tip. And then um, another thing, you know, we're talking about how to pull clean film and stuff. I think a lot of uh, that stuff has to do with, like, motors and prop combinations and, of course, like, you know, 4S, 5S, 6S, that kind of thing. I find that I could pull much cleaner film on higher KV motors because, like, um, especially my, my style of flying, if you're flying my style, you're – you're not really going slow. You're basically cruising at like 45, 50 miles an hour. So you're more in the middle band of the throttle. And the more higher the KV, like the kind of more speed that you're basically going. So if I were to use like a lower KV, it's more like grunty and like harder to keep fast speed because I have to be much higher in the throttle and it nukes the pack almost faster than if I use a high KV and just run a lower throttle. Yeah. Get what I'm saying? Totally. So, you kind of so get that like, cadence lot... in it too. Like it's just yeah, up so at that RPM just... spinning. Yeah. And like um, a higher RPM will always give you a little more performance and feel like you'll be able to turn on the dime faster with the higher RPMs and stuff like that. So I just feel like also like, most motor combinations somewhere in that throttle band has a shitty area for film where you kind of get crappy, like kind of like noise or whatever coming off the props. But I find as you raise up the KV, that shitty area goes lower and lower. So like you're not touching it, like on maybe an eight, especially cruising. Exactly. Exactly. So it's never in the scene. So your video is a lot more smoother because you're not at the lower end where it's crappy and you're not flying that slow that that actually shows it up on the film. So it's kind of like a kind of a little secret, like, you know, why I use higher KV. And, you know, I've always flown 5S for the last three and a half years because um, I just feel like it doesn't burn up the um, components easy. It basically is light. It's cheap, and it's kind of like the perfect spot between 4S and 6S. Like, it's kind of the perfect feel, and I've – have a lot of guys that I've converted into believing that same way. Yeah, I'm definitely about to make that switch. Um, I don't want to go to. I might go to six S if I build something like super big, like a seven inch or something, um, just for that build specifically. But I'm thinking about going to five S just for like my overall flying, like my whole setups. Yeah. See, when I first started flying um, the the, the um, six inch, when I had the two eighty about four years ago. Um, I was on 4S and I had made this 2208-1800 kV motor and I found like on 4S it had a lot of low end thrust but it didn't have like the high speed to carry for a while so I decided to go up and sell so I looked for a 5S I couldn't find one in the United States at all anywhere so I contacted a manufacturer in China and they actually made me a few 5s's and when i tested it i was like what's a Holy few shit. like what, what kind of small size badge can you get from china of 5s's at that well, time you just call them up and say hey can you make me some test batteries because they were already making 4s so just throw another cell on it and it's a 5s so it's not that hard yeah so i told them to send me 10 of them as a tester and when I tested it, I was like, holy shit, this is like the Chubacabra. Like, I got so much more power. I have so much more speed at a lower throttle, and I'm not really murdering the packs because I can't 
I'm not that talented to fly this fast yet because I wasn't that good at flying. I was better than 4S, but like I need more power. But when I stepped to 5S, I was like, whoa, I got some flying, yeah. you know, to learn how to like control this because a little more power. It's like a bull in a china shop. So anyway, um, that was a huge lesson learned. And when I put it on the thrust, uh, when I put the 5S on the thrust stand, I saw that each like each motor made between 150 and 250 grams more thrust using the same exact combo just by going up a higher cell. Yeah, just so one it was like a totally win-win. Yeah, it was a it was a killer situation. So I was able to make a lot more thrust to weight ratio, and it really made the quad fly different stuff. So anyway, so I was started you know selling 5s in my store a long time ago, and. Not many people were buying it because everyone was still on five inch and four S setups and stuff. So those kind of stagnant, bro. Still, still yeah, there for a long time. <laughs> I was like, when are these guys gonna catch on to this? This is so freaking awesome. And I was just like, you know. And now, like in the last year, you see five and six S becoming like the mainstream. But I'm like, damn, this took so long to catch on. I just don't understand why it took so long. And I guess some of the more, you know, famous, if you will. Pilots weren't flying those kind of setups. They were all flying parks with the 4S and the 5 inch props still for the longest time, and they weren't doing my style flying. Yeah, I think it's the, you know, not that much, pe- not that many people live around that kind of space, man. You know, like not that many people can, yeah. be, you know, like just be like, I'm gonna go like murder a mile, you know, like no problem. Yeah. Most people are like, a mile, yeah, exactly. that's like the next school district. I'm like two suburban, you know, complexes well, out. Well, here's the thing. Here's the, thing too back then i was flying uhf so i was like why fly one section of the park when i could fly the whole thing and i had 1.3 so it made a huge difference i could see forever so i just started flying bigger and bigger areas and you know and it gave you a lot of freedom and then like everybody started park flying after that and even me that the 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 uh, uhf kind of died off for a while then crossfire came back out like a year or two you know, yeah, like a year and a half um, ago, ago and it got, got really hot. hot. And Whoa. and then that kind of urged on people going further because they, you know, on the normal Tyrannus, you fly a little ways and it just drops out of the sky. And like, so people are like, fuck that. I'm not going to fly too far and find out where the end of the range of this thing is. Yeah. So, well, with, you get like the, the like the two second warning. It's like RSSI critical gone. Like yeah, like, you're already down. Yeah. <laughs> you're already, you're already crashed and yeah. now you're looking for it or whatever. And that always sucks. So, when that crossfire came back out, and it'd been out for a while, but it wasn't hot. It wasn't a hot item, and the hype really hadn't caught on to that. And and then it finally started getting going with the 5S setups. You were able to travel so much faster and so much further that the crossfire just kind of blended in well with it. It was a perfect tool for it all over again. And then with the new um, antennas from like True RC and Alex Greaves and stuff and making these like, you know, the five um, turn helicals and, and all the crazy um, dual X antennas and all that stuff kind of like bred life all the way back in this. So we went full circle like three times now already in five years. You know what I mean? So yeah. now it's starting to like go to bigger and bigger quads. But for for myself, like there's like a certain spot. Like a few years ago, I would tell you seven inch was not really feasible because the quad was so heavy the motors were heavy well, and the, the flight power control, wasn't the flight there. controllers weren't there to handle it either too like the flight characteristics yeah. were seven inch back then or like even yeah yeah it was just not good not good so it was like this yeah seven inch just didn't feel good so um you know 
about a year ago, I made the 262 um, with the 7-inch arms called the Cinematic 7. And I thought, you know, I'm going to give this a shot now that I created the brand-new Primo 228 motor that weighs 32 grams with short wires. It's got the N52 magnets, and it's basically dumped 10 grams off the old-school 2208 motors that were around three years before that, and it makes way more power. So once I, like, put that on the setup with the lighter frame, lighter ESCs, put caps on there, the new ESCs, and I flew it. I was like, holy crap, this thing is legit. And as you know, you know, session camera's king, and it has, like, you know, the session's king, let's face it, because the lightness, it takes a beating and stuff. But once I threw that Hero 7 on my 6-inch, I was like, ooh, this thing's losing a lot of power That's that I'm not used to giving breath. up. Yeah, so when I went to the 7-inch, just by in, by uh, getting the 1-inch the longer prop, I was able to gain two or 300 grams of thrust for each motor, and that made up the 60 grams weight difference for the Hero, and it made all the difference in the world. But once you see the um, – bless you. Once Thank you see you. the uh, – the um, image that comes off that Hero 7, it's hard to deny. I mean, it's, it's like a Mavic with, you know, Dude, 3X's yeah. gimbal. You know what I mean? Yeah, and let the record state that your footage, especially on big props, is, like, probably the best, man. Like, you crush it. Like, all well, your footage looks... it didn't happen that... Yeah, whatever, you know, dude. You can try to play that... it all cool right now, but... <laughs> no, seriously, that was a process that I had to work out from like motor combinations to pro- to the right prop combinations, to the right soft mounting, to the right tune, to the right you know caps and all that combination that comes together. So, you know, people always ask me, you know, do you use real steady? And I'm like, no, dude, I don't use real steady. This is like hard work tuning that I use. You know, I don't have a problem against using real steady and I could see a great use for real steady and a lot of people like that kind of CG look including yourself and all that stuff but for me like if I'm selling a product I want to prove that it actually works and that you could achieve a a clean video totally by doing and using the right parts cuz like people that just sell frames are just like oh yeah just you know here's my video but they don't tell them that they're using real steady so it's kind of like a uh, totally. I, I don't know. Yeah, and like I mean, I enjoy using real steady, but it's like you know, it's not flight characteristic or like pilot skill. Like when I fly to like make a real steady edit, I fly differently. Like I use a lot more yaw to turn. Like it's more like I think about mm-hmm. it more of like a phantom when I'm flying it. Um, exactly. But, uh, but like you know, it fixes shit. But I think it's important that even if you use real steady, you're still like you know trying to become a better pilot. Like you can't. Be a super have a super shit setup and piloting skill and still use real steady. It's like a cool it's like a cool creative add on like using tilt shift or something, but it's not like a replacement for sick flying. I absolutely agree with that, and you know, like sometimes you know, real steady's like would be great if you're like in Hawaii on vacation and it's windy, but you're at the most epic location and you have to fly and you don't have time to wait for better conditions and this and that. That's where real steady comes in, you know, totally like totally awesome. But for a guy like me that has $60 software, I used um, movie fifth movie studio 15 for 60 bucks. So it's basically like a Vegas Sony 15 almost. And it doesn't have any of that like stabilization or anything like that. And to tell you the truth, I don't feel like spending all this money on Adobe and then buying the other thing and spending hours, 
you know, editing when I'm running two jobs, a business, creating film Dude, on the net 24-7. Based on how your footage footage looks, I'd say you're doing just fine. You know, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, you know, here's here's something trippy. The uh, creator of Real Steady, um, he actually contacted me about two years ago, and I sent him some film. Um, and he was going to, you know, kind of promote it and use the real steady on it. And I didn't hear back from him for like two weeks. And I was like, hey, what's going on? He goes, he's like, Gab yeah, 707 is what's I, going I, on. Well, no, <laughs> he, this is, this is way before Gab and all that stuff, like was, was doing those mountain surfings and like real steady got real popular. It was before he used that, um, real steady for that, that video down in Venice. But, um, he told me, you know, your film's too clean. It didn't make much of a difference with it. Yeah. So. The film that I was pulling already was already clean, so it didn't, like, that stuff really helps bad-looking film. Like, it's amazing of, like, how much transformation it could do if your film's really bad. I mean, it could really... It could, like, rearrange pixels, basically. I mean, it's insane. So, like, basically, I wasn't a good candidate to promote his business because it really didn't... he, He basically couldn't show crap film and then show the difference that his real steady did for the film. You know what I'm saying? So, we just kind of just... Yeah, totally. Or whatever, but and I feel like you know, it's like I still like to shred, you know. Like when, like I said, it's a different kind of pack. Like I still like to just go out and be like, how low can I get? How close can I split up this tree? Like just burn a pack like a minute faster than I would if I was flying a real steady pack. Just you know. And dude, you are yeah, you are totally talking my style flying. All these guys, like the main question they ask me when they see my crazy setups with all these high KVs and stuff, they're like. How long's your flight time? And I'm like, I'm like, well, it just depends on how hard I am on the throttle. I mean, I think people overlook me, like, how efficient setups are if you're just dainty with it. Like, you can get decent gas mileage out of a Ferrari if you're just keeping it at 2,000 RPMs and below. 100% agree. I find the more powerful that you can make a setup, the more efficient it becomes at lower throttle. Do you curve your so throttle? Like, at all? Um, um, I only curve my throttle just a tad on my crazy 2208 2550s on 5.5 cool. because the amp draw. Yeah. But that same setup is probably my most aggressive, but also one of my most efficient at low throttle because that thing hauls ass at a really good pace at a low throttle. That's because it's got so much damn power. And that's one of the things these guys just haven't caught on to yet. I think like, you know, a lot of times when you, you use like a lower, like a six eighteen hundred kV or something really low with the four cell or something, I find it much harder to tune too because the um props load differently yeah. they basically like it's more of a grunt, so the minute that you move the throttle a tiny bit it it rips the prop and puts vibrations down the arm into the gyro a lot more easy and that's why when you use like a higher kV it actually loads the the um, prop a little more smoother like it spools up yeah. in a different fashion it's like and putting off road tires on a why, civic yeah absolutely and that's why i like a taller stator too because in the past you know the stators have always gotten wider and taller at the same time because it creates like a, the perfect linear feel and the power throughout the whole throttle band when they started going wide stator they like changed the dynamics of that it's almost like driving a car and third gear, like you, it's it's only like zero to sixty percent throttle. Anything after sixty percent throttle just saturates the motor and doesn't give you like any more additional power. Like the way I feel power band when, drops off. when I tested them, 
Yeah, and it had a little more grunt on the low end, but every time you made a micro movement of the throttle, it jerked the prop faster and kind of like sent vibrations to the frame, like it loaded it different. You know, it's almost like um, these guys always want like longer flight time, so they try to make a lighter frame with these big props. But I find with a lighter frame and these big props, if you don't load it down with a lot of battery, it's almost too light, and that prop kind of is like flimsy and kind of flails around rather than being loaded with the weight where it has a little pressure where it really, like, loads right. Yeah, you're, like, so there's throwing a, a baseball like, instead of a wiffle ball. Like, it's just, you know, it's got more efficiency on the long throw. Absolutely. I also find, like, a quad that has a little more weight is easier to, like, you know, get smoother flying, and it just carves better. Dude. And then downhill, it really carries good speed and really... You know, and we all know, like, whenever you use more milliamp batteries anyway, you don't have to use as high C rating, but you also don't do the damage you do because a battery that has more milliamps has a much easier time discharging itself. Yeah. So I know we're getting off topics and kind of bouncing yeah, around that's all the here That's the theme of the show. But it's sort that's... of like, yeah, it's just kind of like killer information for these guys to listen to and kind of figure out the road that I've like gone down to be all pull cleaner film and stuff yeah. like that. And one of my biggest battles when I'm trying to figure out my setups is motor combinations with props. And these, the props manufacturers, I'm always doing battle with these guys because, you know, the longer these props get, you kind of need to get them more stiffer. Otherwise they deflect under high power situations. And, um, you know, these guys have to start, adding more carbon composites to the mix or some different plastics as they get bigger props. Otherwise they're totally worthless. They, they spend all these money on these molds and they put the same old plastic in there and then they get a bad rep on the um, internet real fast going, Hey, don't use those. They, they deflect too easy and they put jello in the film and that props basically a whole waste of money and time for these prop makers to make. I also find a lot of these prop makers are making these props that are that that don't have enough pitch. I myself like at least a six by four, maybe a six by four three, when it comes to like five point five and up, because with my big powerful motor combinations, um, they need like the more grunty prop to be all like pulled there. I'm pulling so many. Yeah, they need more bite, and if they don't have the bite, it almost over revs the motor, and it's like I'm like. The throttle's full throttle, but I'm not going anywhere because it's just kind of over-revving, and I'm sucking amps and not getting the full use yeah, of that. Yeah, it doesn't have, like, something to push and... off of, right? Yeah, and I also feel like, you know, even if the battery sags, if you have a stronger pitch prop, you kind of, like, the battery's still fresh when you gun it, so at least you get the jump of the very beginning of the battery without it sagging. And when you use a prop that doesn't have enough pitch, it kind of, like, spools up. And it just goes nowhere, and the battery just drains yeah, just like super fast. Too much horsepower yeah, in the rain. So just, yeah, it's just yeah, it's like having slicks. You just kind of like you know, you can't yeah, lay down the power. Slicks. You're just burning out the whole time. Yeah, so you know, there's a lot of different. You know, everybody's kind of going through this journey about what they like, what they don't. You well, know, I think I it varies be- based on flight style too, right? Like if I lived in downtown Hong Kong, like two inch and three inch would be my rep like that's all i would fly yeah and like out in the desert where you fly totally makes sense and you know everything in between yeah i 100 percent agree with that statement it's like 
That's why I have three different quads. I have 5.5 to 7 inch, and it depends on the style of flying I'm going to fly. Like if I'm going to do more cinematic long lines, I'm going to break out the 7 inch. You know, if I want to do go ape shit acro, acro and do some mountain surfing and big air, um, I will break out the 6 inch with the 262 in the session. It's just dropping the 60 grams off the camera makes a huge difference in power. And then the 5.5s kind of like with the 6 inch. I could fly both of those around. I could still do long range with them, no problem. I could still park fly with both those quads, but they're just a little more maneuverable than the 7 inch. Because when you start loading the 7 inch with a 5S2200, you start losing a little acro ability, and it's more of a long line flyer. So there's definitely like every single person wherever they live needs to figure out what style flying that that's best and pick a frame and a motor combination set up for that environment. I think that's a really you overlooked know? thing too. You know, you think like FPV racing drone is like such an umbrella statement, but like like so is car. You know, but then you think about it. And you got like Jeeps and race cars and drag cars and grip cars and drift cars and, you know, like it's the same thing. Like you just got to figure out how you want to use it and what you want to use it for. Yeah, and that's the same kind of like some of these guys just want to fly long distance really slow and boring. And And a lot of those dudes have never gotten close to even trying that. You know, they're like, I just want to go four miles, and you're like, yeah, like eight times. And then you're like, well, that's about the same every time. Yeah, exactly. And that's what happened to me. I'm like, okay, this, that was boring after one flight. Now I want to rip. And the problem with having a lower KV motor like that is you are basically nuking the pack trying to fly that thing fast anyway. So my theory is get a higher KV and just fly it with a lower throttle and you're basically in the same position, but you still have a stage three turbo on the top end if needed. The other way around, you kind of rob yourself of the top and you just don't have it. Yeah, definitely. And like, I think also power is a bigger oh shit handle. Like you're coming in, you, you didn't see that tree, and you you, you have out. have yeah. that top end and that you know just to get out of there real quick. Like that saves quads, man. Absolutely, and and like you know as the you know the longer you fly, the more porned out you get. What I'm saying is you just like you want more power, and you just want more thrust, and like when you go backwards, you're like wait this thing sucks. Like this is no fun. So there's like that's the evolution of multi-copter builders. I've already been through all those smaller motors, and I was like, why are, why are people still flying 2205s and 2206? Those things, like, have no power unless the quad is light and doesn't have a GoPro on it and all the other stuff. But my frames and stuff has always been designed around HD cam because I always want to see the footage when I get home of oh, yeah, flying dude. and what it looked like and all the different cool areas and stuff like that. So my frames have always been designed around a camera. In fact, my frames actually counterbalance the battery with the camera yeah, in front. I, and it was just something I, mean? I want to talk about. You have like one of maybe the only, I don't know, one of the only uh, frames where the FPV cam is above the GoPro. Um, yeah. Um, there was a couple back in the day that had similar, like Hoover Ship did the same thing. I think those guys are out of business now. And DRL has a frame that came out after mine that kind of looks like yeah, mine, but true. you know what I mean? So. Um, you got a sick legal why, team or what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need to get some money that they're making, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, anyway, um, some of the benefits to having the, the, the camera down low is the more exciting film. So, like, you like to fly low and fast. It just, just that extra few inches makes it 
all the difference when you have a fisheye lens. It gives me on, so you know much I mean? more so, feel. Like if I have the yeah. camera a little bit up, it makes it feel like a foot higher. Yeah. So so, so basically, having the um, GoPro down low helps you capture that cool, like intense film. And also, people don't think about this, but in fast forward flight, if that camera is up higher, it becomes the center of the frame when it's leaning forward. So now it's easier to punch gaps because you know where the top and bottom is kind of. You have a better feel for punching yeah. gaps because you're punching through the middle of it. You can so like see your stomach like, and your dick. Yeah, pretty much. So, <laughs> and then like also having the battery on the same low CG level helps the quad fly. People always say, man, Rich, I've never flown a quad that quite feels the same like this. It has a real unique feel to it. And it's like, this is like generation eight or nine of the same frame that's been reworked over and over and over to what it is today. I mean, if you look at the history of multi-copter builders, the frame has changed. Like the camera's always been low, but it's changed so many different shapes and like all this stuff. When I first started making frames, everything was real square. And I'm an artist, and I don't know if people know that, but I've used to paint like liquid, like uh, curvy paintings called liquid symbolism, where everything's like curvy instead of like flat lines. I'm more of an odd guy than an even number guy. So my <laughs> frames have always had the curves and stuff like that. So, you know, over the evolution of making this frame, it's changed so much over the time. And, you know, now we're doing the 3D parts on the front to keep it light and it gives a special look to it. Plus these guys like having all this pimped out different colors. It's more of an art frame that has a purpose, you know what I mean? So, you know, you see me on this 3D printer just printing 24 Dude, and I got to give it to you, man. Like, so I follow this guy here in Colorado that does, like, large-scale 3D printer, like uh, like rocket engines and, like, you know, crazy huge. Like, he's got, like, a six-meter printer kind of thing. And uh, Uh your prints are on that level, man. Like, they just – they're just perfect, dude. And then I Uh, – and then last week we were supposed to – Last week we were supposed to do this – and I call you because you had to reschedule, and uh, you're like, no, I just started yeah, this print. And I'm like, going. you just sit there and watch it, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like people are like, you know, I'm over here fucking around on Facebook, answering a million questions, shipping stuff here, and printing at the same time. And I'm like, oh, shit, I got to run and change the color. And I'm back and forth going to that damn machine. This thing is just like my wife actually calls it making making quad clothes. Yeah, dude. You know, so it's just like I'm over here making clothes for the quad, like a doll or something. It's freaking hilarious. But um, everybody wants their individual color schemes and like all the combination colors. I mean, it's like can yeah, you people don't realize how much goes into like, that. Like, yeah, and it's like drives me crazy because like when I start a print, I got to stay here for three hours and like change the filament 29 times. And I know they have machines that do the filament changes and all this different stuff, but it, I, it might I be time basically to upgrade. look at it more. Well, it's more of an art piece for me. So it's like, oh, it's time to change right now. And then I just change, you know, and different, like, combinations come out. And, you know, I always try to make every single seat different so there's no epic frame the same out there. Unless you just buy one multicolor print or whatever. But that's totally boring. Even the guys that buy the one multicolor print are, like, two weeks later, they're like, I have to spend extra money and get a freaking Shelton seat, you know, a captain seat for this bad boy. So, but back to the printer real quick. Um, I was asking in forums because I've only been printing for like three months and I was like, what printer do I get? And like people had all, every single suggestion in the world, just like when people ask for motor combinations, you get every answer in the world. But anyway, I talked to my buddy 
uh, George Robinson, he goes, you know what, you should get a Prusa. They're more expensive, but they come with auto bed level, and they're just a lot more, like, easier to deal with. I said, all right, I'm going to spend the money and listen to them and stuff, and I got the Prusa, and it became a symbol. I printed my first thing, and it was pretty damn spot on. So then um, we started printing a couple seats, and there was a few, like, seats that didn't come out that great. So for a whole month, me and my buddy George – we're comparing notes. We're like, okay, we changed the retraction to this. We did this. We did that. This didn't work out as well. This worked out better. Heat at 220 didn't work so good. We put it to 230, less strain. So we were comparing notes for a whole month. And we finally like got it like a quad that has perfect pids. So now these prints are coming out like almost flawless because we got it so dialed in to a completely perfect running machine you know yeah totally i feel you like i i've had a 3d printer for like a year and a half now and i've never gotten into it as you like i don't do multicolor prints or anything like that but like i definitely had some issues with stuff coming out like that super textured look where it's you know kind of like looks like it's cooking a bit or something it's like stringy yeah like and, it's overcooking stringing it's yeah. getting separation the co- bed's not like perfectly leveled so it's like off centered yeah. and it's just like over extruding and stuff like that and i mean i'm not as religious as you like i'll turn on a print and just go to bed you know <laughs> Like, yeah, no, for me, it's like I'm a little like, you know, I don't know, I'm a little anal when it comes to those prints. And it's like I've actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would because I'm just making artwork with this thing. And, like, when you put them on the frames and, like, people are so stoked to get these frames with this, like, custom job. And they, like, freaking love these frames. Like, I have a few guys that lost the quads and they're, like, totally distraught yeah. over it. You got, like, and a cult, like, worry, we're re- cult following. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of, like, funny, but, you know. Um, it's actually, I don't know, this hobby is so great. You meet so many good people. You meet guys from all over the world that are just like really cool. And like, this is a maker's business where like everyone's like improving on each person's design or motor combinations or like setups. And then you have the hype train that kind of derails a lot of that. And because the money greed part gets into kind of, yeah, like just turning product and, yeah, and well, a lot of people fly it differently than you too. You know, like you don't really yeah. like burn motors every time you go to a bando. You're not like rebuilding three quads a month, kind of. You know, just yeah, it's a different and, and, different and, ecosystem. And, yeah, and you know what? That's a great point. Like when people find me on on YouTube and stuff, and they see my style flying, it might be similar to what they want to do or the area that they live in. And see, out here we don't have many bandos. I wish we did, but we don't. We Dude, don't whatever. You got that stuff. whole fucking – what's that, St. George Air Force Base where Kidder took me? Oh, that's George Air Force Base. That's George. about 100 miles from where I live, though. Oh, yeah, I guess we did meet actually, you up by Big Bear or Bear Lake. Big Bear, Bear Lake. Yeah, one? yeah, Big Bear. Yeah, that's about a two-hour drive for me up the mountain. But I live down in Palm Springs near the San Andreas Fault. That's like the near, mountains um, like, over from Kidder, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, so um, that's my area, but we don't even have much trees and stuff like that. Down no, I get here. that vibe I mean, from your videos. Stuff. <laughs> it's like so Mars. It's sort of like, you know, I mean, yeah, so if I want to like go to any bandos, I got to travel a long ways, or if I want to go to the trees, I got to drive, you know, an hour up to the mountains and do some tree surfing and stuff like that. But, you know, you know, so basically, multi-copter builders is like a totally niche market. There's like, can you fly my frames and bandos and stuff, the 5.5s? Absolutely and stuff. But 
most people see the like the longer range than the big air acro like full blown crazy setups with massive power and yeah. you know all that kind of stuff. So I got to too powerful for a lot of tighter areas. Yeah, definitely. I got a question for you. So, you know, I think like five inch quads and especially like a lot of the flight one setups with the filtering, like it's getting to the point where you can just fly into your prop wash in any situation and it doesn't look like you're doing it. Like it's like so dialed. Do you think that like six and seven inch will get to the point where you can like do those kind of maneuvers, but like from cliff to cliff, you know, like do like the juicy moves and the reverts and the flicks, but do it like covering like a hundred yards at a time on a big, uh, prop setup? Well, that's a good question. I mean, when you're dealing with bigger motors and bigger props, you have a much more noise going on. You have a bigger disc space for more air to get caught in between the props. But just in general, it's just like, it's just a totally, I mean, the flight controllers handle that pretty damn well as it is right now, but the combinations when you start venturing into the bigger stuff just changes the dynamics of everything. And it takes a while to figure out how to get everything smoothed out like we were already talking about. So, you know, a lot of the times, like if you look at like four years ago, I was flying eight inch props and I had no soft mounts, no indie filters or anything. And I was pulling super clean film on uh, NACE 32. So has the technology improved? Hell yeah. But a lot of stuff is hype where it's improved, but it hasn't improved. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of like, you know, like, Every single flight controller these days comes out like every month with a different filtering settings and some are better than others and some are like basically going in reverse. It's like, it's like kind of like, uh, like it's a, a drug manufacturer making a, yeah, it's a hype train. So it's just like you keep pushing more and more and more stuff, but it's, I don't know, you know, it's a, that's, that's a good question. I just think that bigger props, bigger motors, more noise, it's harder to, just make a quad run better with yeah. the, with the different dynamics. And why we're on that subject, like, you know, Steel said a long time ago that, like, the perfect ideal weight's like 580 to 620 on a quad that's 5-inch. And I agree with that because it has a nice throw weight. It still has a ton of power. It's maneuverable and covers all the accesses. As you get bigger quads, you start having bigger batteries. It's harder to Flight maneuver as well. Change totally change and yeah. they just start like that's why like going the going up from eight to ten inch props in the futures i could see it happening but it's going to be a really niche market because it's going to be harder to control it's going to be harder to fly smaller areas than that it's going to be harder to pull clean film you're going to have longer arms more vibration more noise more yeah. more crappy props you know you know, that's the thing about, like, right now, 7-inch. I absolutely love my 7-inch, but right now, the only 7-inch prop on the whole entire market that I would even recommend anybody is the 756 um, doll tri-prop, and that's it. I mean, that's pretty sad to say I could only recommend one prop out of all my testing. Everything else deflects or it does, doesn't yeah. pull clean film or, you know, so it's, I mean, it's, we're in a we're in an infant stage of, What's the call? Of like growing pains that we're just like, you know, we just don't have the right tools yet. And it's just a matter of getting a voice out there and the prop manufacturers risk listening to the right voices to, you know, 
the niche markets taken care of or whatever. All right, yeah, like what got me thinking about that was, you know, like I think five-inch like fly a certain kind of way, but I would love to be able to pull some of those like five-inch like backwards moves but do it, you know, like between cliffs or like just covering massive amounts of ground and then just being able to like stop in my prop wash with something framed. I mean, you could definitely do that, and, you know, with the weight and stuff, it definitely helps the throw factor and that kind of thing, but you definitely, don't you have a six-inch uh, I used to. Now you... I just fly all five-inch. All five-inch. Um, why not 5.5-inch since you're doing mountain surfing? Um, I think for me, like, it's just the five-inch has really never not been able to do what I've needed it to do. Like, I've never really run out of what I need for like the setup and like now I want to build like a seven inch and get into that game. But like, for like all the videos I've ever shot have been on a five inch. And even like that day we flew and, together, and like let the record state the dude on the five inch four as guinea pig, the ravine line. Yeah, this is true. This is true. I wasn't <laughs> sending my shit up there first. Dude. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but yeah, so, um, yeah. So like, I think if we have another podcast one year from now, you're going to be looking back at this and going, wow, you know what I mean? Like one year's passed. I've tried seven. I've tried 5.5. And for mountain surfing and then bigger areas, it just makes sense because it just covers so much more ground. It has so much more torque and thrust to carry the heavier camera. Might be a little bit harder to pull clean film. But, but like, real steady. Like that, that would be one of my motivating factors for it, right? It's like I could run – some real cool time ramped kind of lines with the ground. I yeah, this cover. is true. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the seven inch covers a lot of ground really fast. I mean, the extra length props really pull the extra air. And with that weight of a heavier battery, I mean, the momentum just carries pretty damn good. It's, it's, I'm having a lot of fun, a lot more than I thought with, with seven inch. I just thought I'd, I'd build the seven inch and maybe, let a few guys test it. I wouldn't be that into it, but I really enjoy it, especially with the Hero 7, because when you see the film that comes off that, you're like, holy crap, it's hard to go IMAX? back to the session. Yeah, it's just like a Mavic, like I said, with an Axis gimbal that's, you know, turns and all that stuff, but it's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely a niche market, but you live in the mountains, like, you know, in big areas to rip, so it's perfect for you. Yeah, and like the, another reason I would want to go up in prop size and like, you know when you first start flying and like that one hill crest seems far away and then like three years later that's yeah. like your like warm yeah, up it's run. So tiny. Yeah, so like yeah, I, it's so tiny. I'm getting to like that point, right? Where I'm like, Oh, I kinda wanna fly to that mountain and here in Colorado that mountain is like you're doubling the distance automatically, you know? Yeah. So I'm getting to that point. That's, Go ahead. That's a that's a great point that you bring up there because like that's kind of the, like the evolution of park flying to mid-range flying to long-range flying. Like it just builds that adrenaline. When when you're flying out far, you're just going, what if this thing falls out of the sky and I lose yeah. 900 bucks? This is pretty intense. And it gets intense the further you go out and you're like, holy shit, I'm like two miles away and I'm ripping this thing and I'm now near trees and shit. You can't even hear your motors reverb 
back to you. It's just gone. Like three or four seconds later after you made your move or whatever. And sometimes it's completely gone. Exactly. But that intense feeling makes you like re-love FPV all over again. So when you see stuff like FPV's dead and this and that and all that kind of crap, I just kind of laugh at that. It's all about pushing the envelope and keeping it exciting. Like FPV's like the only thing that's kept me excited over anything in five years, I usually like get in the new car. I'm all hyped about cars and trucks, and then it just kind of dies off or a new hobby. But FPV's been able to keep my interest because of that. Yeah. You know? And it I, just keeps it exciting. And I think it's like, I mean, first of all, fuck everybody that says FPV's dead. Like, your attitude's yeah. dead, and no. your dedication to becoming any better at flying and like caring is gone. But I think, you know, like, what you do to me is like the backcountry of snow sports and like the park flying is like the skate parks kind of like terrain park, like that kind of vibe. And like, you know, the day's going to come and with FPV speed, it's going to be pretty soon when like, and it happened in other sports when like park tricks become backcountry tricks and kids are doing like inverted yaw spins that are like all ca- calculated and to the degree just like going down a cliff, you know? You know, and there's so many different styles, like what people like. Some people like flippity-floppity mountain surfing, and I kind of do both because it just depends on what kind of mood I'm in. Totally. But I learned a long time ago from my wife. She goes, why do you do all that flips and stuff? That stuff makes me sick. I can't watch your videos when you do that. And I thought, you know, I hear that a lot from the average Joe that sees these FPV videos. If it makes them sick, they're not going to want to watch it or share it so it doesn't grow the community. But if you could have some flow like a – like a hawk soaring out of the sky down the cliff wall real low and like a jet fighter, it kind of embraces like a feeling of like how much fun you had at the time translates back to the viewer that's actually watching it. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's more relatable footage. And I think it's kind of like, you know, when you make something simple, like high-end sushi or something, it's like when you take away elements, you have to make sure the ones that are there are more dialed, right? So if you're like you can – if you're not doing flippy floppies and stuff, then people have more time to like take in your tune and your color grading and like more time to focus on the small minimalistic details so they better be dialed. Yeah, not only that, but they get a chance to see like a different terrain, a different part of the country with a little more detail rather than being flung yeah, around like a little journey. fast with the flip-flops. You can't focus in. Yeah, so it's more of a – you know. FPV for me has always been a magic carpet ride for your soul because once you fly out there far and you fly by your own body, it's so weird to see yourself standing there flying, but your soul is in the bird flying out there. That's what's like been so amazing about the whole FPV and what's got me like head over the hills and caught my attention for so long because it's just a magic carpet ride for your soul. Like you're sitting on the ground and you go, I wonder what that's what, a t-shirt what, what, right what it looks there. like on that. but it's like you know you're sitting there at the bottom of the hill and you're like i wonder what it looks like on the other side you fly up there and you look and you're like oh my god that's so crazy looking so it's just like it's so cool to translate that's why i've always used hd videos on my quad because i want to bring it back to the viewer where they could experience the same thing i did yeah totally time i don't like i wouldn't treat fpv the same if i didn't have hd footage i would treat it like rc cars like it'd be fun i would do it totally it'd be maybe a bit more social but i would not be like tying off my arm and mainlining it you know yeah totally (laughs) I, i totally agree with that and like here's like another thing you know a lot of people want longer flight times and more fun, so a lot of these guys are going to wings, and wings are great, and they're a lot of fun to fly, and they are so cool to watch fly 
bayou and stuff like an outside view, but I feel like the wings don't translate the complete picture back to the viewer because of it's almost like comparing like a two axis gimbal to a three axis gimbal. When you get the little notchety kind of flying, it just doesn't like have that buttery smoothness. And now they're now of course there's people like Sean Kranz that pull freaking glass. Yeah, but they're like you know they're few like it's like Sean Kranz and what like four other people maybe. Like yeah, which like yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So you know what I mean. So it just doesn't translate the same way. And with the seven-inch quad these days, people are commenting to me like, "Man, that looks like a big wing because it has a lot of." Flow you should just to fuck it. with people. You and should start a whole second Instagram fast. that's a wing account and just yes. film it all with your cinematic yeah. sevens. Yeah, here's the epic, epic wing here. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to release any pictures of it, but. You know, here it is, you know, I'm using this motor and blah, blah, blah. So, no. Uh, uh, speaking of motors, like we were talking about it before the show, and I know you've been talking to my buddy Greg Ryder about it, but we were like you run smaller motors on your bigger props than like the internet would lead you to believe is correct, I think. Like you run – like I've run the size motors you run with five-inch props before, and – when you think of like big prop setups, most people think of like 2307, 2407, that kind of stuff. But you run 2208s, so how come? But but that motor is actually larger than the a wider stator motor, so it's just like. like and why is it larger? Because I, thanks to Greg Ryder, I recently learned this too. But like, why is it bigger? Because you think you look at the numbers, right? You're like seven months into FPV. You're not really thinking past like surface level shit, and you're like, oh yeah, like seven inch. I should go with like twenty four oh seven. That's a bigger motor. But it basically translates in a different way. I look at it not being so much a bigger motor, but a different way the motor functions. Like when you go wider, you have a lower end, more of a lower end grunt, and like less top end. So it's just like a different way of how the motor actually works. So like. I run like, you know, Bob Ruge came out with a 2208 and he was like preaching about like um, a 2208-1800 on a 5-inch prop. For me, that was just like when I tried that combo, I was like, this doesn't even make sense. This thing's got no power. Like it's almost like the – the uh, it, basically the prop just is like over-revving. It's not like allowing it to have enough bite and really get the use and the power that that motor can produce. So it's like – it's over over revving and you almost use more amps because it's just spinning, but you're not gaining any more thrust. So like when I started using a little bigger props and more pitched props, that's when I found like so much more power and so much more, you know, speed at a lower throttle and just kind of all the above. Now, you know, people will say, Oh, your systems use a lot of amps and this and that, but you have to fly the systems a certain way. Like when, I find that like newer flyers fly their quads like an airplane. Like they just peg the throttle and turn without letting off the throttle and letting the battery totally. breathe. But like 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 my style, big air freestyle, you would punch out for three seconds and you'll be four hundred feet up in the air and you dump the throttle and that battery's just kind of coming back and then you still have the power to re to regain, you know, at the bottom pullouts and stuff like that. And with all that power, you just learn how to fly a different style. So it's just like the same thing the racers do. They pump the throttle here and there, and they just kind of let it breathe a little bit. But, you know, just it's just kind of like, you know, let's face it, the, 
the battery technology is the same old shitty technology we've had forever with brand new 300C labels printed on them and the price jacked up tenfold. Yeah, and what's what's you know your what flight mean? time? So, like, what's your average cruise and flight time? Um, so basically, like, say my most amp hungry system is probably the two 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 oh eight twenty five fifty kVs. Well, on a four S, um, on a on a five S fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred. I could get four and a half minutes if I fly pretty fast with a few punch outs and stuff like that. Or I could try to nuke the pack in about two minutes. So it's just, you know, it's all about throttle control. And I always preach that. Like it's all about throttle control. People always ask me, how long's your flight time? Well, I could fly on a 5S 2200 for nine, around nine minutes on the seven inch. Or I could haul ass like I do in my videos and fly for about four and a half, five minutes at 55, 60 miles an hour at like, you know, 40, 40% throttle, 45% throttle. So it all depends on the area, the type of flying you're doing, the type of video you want to do. But another point that I want to bring up too, like if you really look at your analytics on your YouTube and watch how long people are watching your videos, most of these people are watching your video for 30 seconds or a minute. So if you go up there and have this long 10-minute flight, no one even's going to watch it anyway unless you just cherry-pick the greatest parts out of yeah, it. Yeah, I recently why started good to just trim it down to like a minute 20, like minute 30 tops. Yeah, it's perfect, and that's, like, great for Instagram one minute out there because, like, that's as long as the people are going to watch it, even if it's a super cool video. Like, my latest video was a review of 2018, and I changed it up to a few golf courses, mountain surfings, and a few urban areas, and it was a six-minute video. which was really long, but I found when I checked the analytics that people watched it for three minutes and 47 seconds on average, and I was shocked. That I was that's able to capture lot. their attention for that long. Yeah, that's a lot. But um, most most of the videos, if they're just straight desert one cuts, people tap out about a minute or so. So, you know. Yeah, and I feel like people one of those too things where, are like, you know, I want a, like a quad that flies like 10 minutes and stuff like that. And it's like, dude, you'd be surprised how far you can get in like a two-minute one-way trip. Like two minutes out. Absolutely. You know? Like you can get out there. Yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah, especially if you're like – on uh, going 60 miles an hour for four minutes, think about how far you could cover, how, how much ground you could cover, but your film is still super exciting, and you still have the adrenaline rush of making the thing and the out-of-body experience that all comes with that rather than just flying for 10 minutes, some boring flight that you're just, like, falling asleep, you know what I mean, just like you are right now. Yeah, know? sorry, I was taking a huge yawn. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I feel like so. that's like an oversight too, but, uh, going back to the motors, do you think that like the 2208s give you more like throttle resolution or like throttle feel you have, it's not, you know, like the, the bigger ones, like you said, have more grunt. So it's kind of like you turn on the motor and then it dies off. Whereas like the 2208s kind of ramp up more. Absolutely. Um, the 2208 has like more power toward the top end. So I call it a stage three turbo. So you could still haul ass fast, you know, around 40, 50% throttle, carry speed, and then go full throttle, and you have a whole nother stage three turbo on the top end. Or if you need to, like, pull out because you're about to hit a rock real fast, the power's there. Yeah. Like, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's just kind of like, it's like a, you know, it's almost like a two-stroke versus a four-stroke. Yeah, like, a good I would way to say put the 220 is more like a two-stroke, where it has, like, the higher power band up on the top end, or turbo in, you know, and then the, and the wider stator is more of a lower grunt motor. But when you're flying a 
flying like this mid-range niche that I'm flying, you're not really in that super low area. You're kind of in the middle throttles because you're going faster, at least for my style of flying. Yeah. So it's kind of like you got I've like, always you got like the auto the car, you know, like it's yeah, just great so it's at like, holding the speed. Yeah, exactly, and it still has a little top end, and it just doesn't saturate the bell and give no additional power after 60% throttle like I feel like a wider stator does. What's uh, like what's my, Oh, go ahead. My biggest thing with the wider stator when I was testing it was I found it much harder to pull clean film because every single micro-movement of the stick jolted the prop and sent the vibrations into the frame a lot more. So it was more like every time I like gave it a little bit of throttle, the quad climbed. So it was harder to keep a smooth lines because every little input made the quad, you know, go up and down and just kind of like well, right. and do like, different things with the props. And you, if it's a bigger or wider stator, not just bigger, you get more rotational mass. So it's harder to change speeds with like it's breaking. more Yeah, of a force field. exactly. Absolutely. So that's like, People just like, you know, every day you'll see in the forum, what motor should I use on this prop or whatever, blah, blah, and everybody reigns in with all their stuff. Dude, what's, and then like, the the, like what's, more... the, what's the best frame? And it's like, if that gets posted every day in some group. <laughs> yeah, every <laughs> single day. And when you look at it, there's 180 frames and, you know, 177 all look the same. They're like the same looking frame, but they changed a bolt here. Here's my new frame. And, you know, oh, yeah, I changed this bolt here and I changed that. So it's not the same, even though it looks the same. You know it's only I mean? been That's four months been... since the V1. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, oh, my God, I just laugh when I see that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's growing pains, like, in this industry. You just see that kind of stuff and, like, hype trains and just, you know, what's hot, what's not who you have for a mouthpiece pushing your products and like, you know, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about your individual fun for the day, your venture, your magic carpet ride and what you enjoy in your certain area and what quad suits you the best for your style flying, you know, definitely. And I feel like no matter what style, you know, uh, environment, whatever that is, you can totally tell when a pilot is like, doing what they like to do with the setup they like to do like what whether it's like a three inch cinematic edit or like just yeah, when someone's totally trans <laughs> yeah when someone's in their zone you can tell yeah and it's basically a way that a person could express themselves as like a paintbrush a certain style painting paint that the sky man doing with the video t-shirt number yeah, two and you know what yeah you know what that's a damn good one dude <laughs> um, all i want is 10 percent yeah too bad I don't make any money at this business and it's a labor of love, right? So Dude. I'll give you an IOU on that one. Yeah, or some motors. So, how, you know how you uh, make a small fortune in FPV? Don't open up a shop. Start with a big fortune. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, more and more shops are closing up these days. Thank Dude, God I don't – FPV HQ just closed up shop like last month. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's nuts, man. They've been around as long as I have, maybe just a tad longer than me. You know, and it's amazing. Um, you're lucky. Not you got the niche, profit. though. You, you're, yeah. you got a corner. You're like you're like the, the niche sneaker shop. of You know, like there's a couple of those, but you're one of them. But you know what else helps out? A good day job. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so I, don't have to de- 
I don't have to depend on any money to like keep this shop open, basically. So if I want to slash the price and flatline a market, yeah, you I'll break even to make like five it. bucks on top, and you got free builds. Like it was good. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, yeah, I had to pack a lot of orders and stuff, and I did it for the labor of love and the growing pains and the innovation and being creative. It was all good. Did I make money at the end of the day? Probably not. And I have a good tax write-off to to write off against my other business, but you know, and. At the end of the day, like, I enjoy this hobby so much, and I enjoy coming up with combinations and just kind of, like, fixing through all the problems of getting clean film and what's the best motor combination that I think and the best feel. And it's kind of like an evolution of love that you just, like, can't get enough of. And I'm one of those people that have to constantly stay busy. Otherwise, I'm extremely bored. And this is the only thing that's caught my attention for a long time, and it just keeps innovating. It's like a... It's almost like computers. You'll never know how to completely solve computers or there's always new stuff out or new technology yeah. to do with the computer. I mean, just never ending. And the same thing you could say with the video editing. How many different styles can you video edit? Like, Dude, how many different cameras now? Like Insta 360, yeah. 7s, run cam yeah. splits on micro builds, all kinds of stuff. These yeah, days. like, I mean, it is endless to be creative. And you could see the guys that really put the time being creative because in a overcrowded world you have to stand out and like kind of like show your stuff and one of the guys that does that guy out you know one of my team pilots chris teal that guy's like really come a long ways he's crushing it's just like yeah he's crushing it and jan his buddy's getting all those um uh the cliff jumpers with the parachutes and all that crap i mean those guys are like diving off the cliffs and he's chasing them with a quad i'm like holy shit like, this is getting crazy. Like, you know, the whole world's opening up with Johnny FPV chasing rhinos and fucking cars and, like, Dude, I mean, John, everything's kind of shifting Johnny to took, new levels. Johnny took – I saw on social media today, Johnny took Will Smith for an FPV ride and uh, Will, Will Yeah, Smith, I saw that and that dude looked stoked. I mean, he just dude, like, what and the fuck is this? Johnny's Instagram went up to, like, mid-hundred-thousands, like, after the repost. Just like a light switch. Oh, instantly. Yeah, I mean that's the kind of person that you made it, has man. money to maybe invest. Yeah, you just yeah. yeah. That's the kind of yeah. You know, FPV is still such a small market, and people just don't know the capabilities of it. And before people would just say, "Oh, you have to have a Phantom to be able to film stuff." No, you don't, because these drones now are pulling clean enough film to give you a whole nother aspect of being able to add to filmmaking. Whole different perspective, you know? whole different speed, whole different yeah. proximity. And, you know, coming from the commercial world of UAVs, like not uh, filming like films and stuff like that, but like agriculture and GIS and stuff, I really think the creative side is the only thing that's not going to get replaced by an algorithm, like in terms of I, flying. I totally agree. And that's – Like the fandoms and shit are going to get replaced by like – like we were working on a GPS that could get you down to six centimeters of precision with a ground station. So like oh. you could set up, you know, points in the sky that you want like an Inspire to fly it and like just hit go when a rally car comes. Wow. Kind of stuff. Yeah. But you can't get a quad to probably perform and flip over that rally car the right – you know what I mean? That would be a yeah, lot like harder. You can't I get, think it's – Well, and like you can't – like if yeah. that – Rally call goes off the road. The quad can adapt. You yeah, know? Like, I'm sure we'll get to that yeah, point someday too. Like, let's not Tesla's, let's not kid Tesla's ourselves. Tesla's doing it right now. Yeah, please, like, no one ever right show Elon Musk FPV if he hasn't seen it yet. Let's just yeah, keep that on the back burner for a while. Yeah, I saw your. Yeah. Elon, I watched that Elon video you posted today. 
the 60 minutes thing. You know what? I got a lot, you know, a lot of love for someone who's so risk taker, so daring and living life to the fullest in the moment and wants to make a change and just improve and just the dude's such a trip and like the, you know, the media beats him up and stuff, but dude is just so innovative and so intelligent that he's awkward. You know, he's just one of those guys that you could just tell is just so smart. He's just a brain with a body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, like, you can totally tell that, you know, and I think, like, he's got that, not to, like, downplay engineers, but, like, he's got that, like, engineer, like, brainiac kind of introspective mind, and, uh, like, dude, he's got to battle some serious shit, like, he's trying to, like, you know, up for the automotive industry, like, in America, and, like, so, like, and who do you, like, who's got more money to deal with the media, like, GM does, for sure, like, he's going to get so much flag. And not only that. But he's also dealing with oil, and because the U.S. is built off oil and the he world, wants, dude. you know, electric. The world is yeah, built I mean, on oil. The world, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's, like, up against a war machine that he's trying to beat and stuff like that. But I was watching his uh, Joe Rogan interview, and it was the most dude. crazy interview I've ever saw we on, watched like, it artificial live. intelligence. It was, I, it was it, like, such a trip. Like, he was talking – you know, he he was basically telling like these robots are going to be so smart that you're going to lose control, and some government's going to want to weaponize them. And then once they're weaponized, they're out of control, and now you have basically Terminator in real life. You know what I mean? So the way that was, you know, that that interview was such an eye-opening trip in a different perspective. It was like opening up all kinds of new doorways of thinking. You know? Yeah, it's totally. pretty wild, dude. And uh, you know what? Even if he is an asshole. We have electric cars, and he landed a fucking spaceship backwards and did, like, 32 flights with it. Like, if, yeah, even no, if that so was like, the one thing he did in the world, that would be huge. But, no, yeah. we also have PayPal. So, like, let's just think about that in the FPV world. Just let that sink in. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see the quad that he would design and what the fucking capabilities of that damn thing would do. You know what yeah. I mean? And he sold And, first of all, Come what on. would it look like? Yeah, what – yeah, what was he selling twenty thousand flamethrowers for? That's a trip. I mean, I want a flamethrower. I mean, shit. You know what I mean, dude? He was talking about it on the podcast. He, he was like, "We sold fifty thousand hats for twenty bucks a piece, and made however much, and then we decided to make flamethrowers. Those are the only two products that the whatever the, the boring company has <laughs> ever made are hats and flamethrowers." That's so that's that's so classic, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, and That's yeah, so funny. It's just such a G. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you though, before we, we get too off topic, is uh, are you like a religious tuner? Um, people always ask me what my pids are and stuff. And back to the you know smooth film and stuff. You don't pids are like the way the flight controller is now. You should be able to get pretty damn flawless film with the pids that come on the board pre-stock. I do like to tune, like usually like if I have a new frame and a new motor combination, I'll spend about probably about two or three weeks tuning it. I'll like fly it and I'll review the film. I'll fly it again, reveal it again. I'll change a few things and I don't know how that feels, but I find like, you know, with like bigger props, I like to run higher D's and stuff like that. And with a bigger frame, you don't need as much eye because the frame's already steady enough. Yeah. So I kind of like have a little bit of lower eye, and then I bump up the fast 
forward, like with beta flight to like 95 on all accesses to make it feel like a smaller quad. But then you could add a lot of expo to kind of knock it back down if you want. That's what I, I mean. That's why I, I love high rates with a lot of expo, like a hell of a lot of a feel if I need it. Yeah. But a lot of dumbed out in the middle. Yep. Absolutely. And then you could even run a little dead band in the middle of like three or five if you want to. Yeah. But um, I run, that's, I run a, a disgusting amount of dead band. So, Full disclosure. You know, back to the flight control and clean. So PIDs are only one thing that's going to help you pull clean film, but that's not even – that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think the more important thing is limiting the vibration into the gyro. Like the quad, no matter what, is going to fly like shit if it has vibrations in the gyro. It's like, you know, screaming in someone's ear when they're talking. It's not going to be able to hear what it needs to hear. So it really fucks with the gyro when it has too much noise in there. And part of that is vibrations. Um, you have to put caps. I run five caps on my quads on the single like ASCs that like we talked about earlier. And on the ASCs. Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't use four and one ESCs because I find you just can't knock the noise down enough to where I think it needs to be. And then when you talk about bigger props, you have a different frequency now of noise coming off that bigger motor and bigger props. You got to find out where that's at and the combinations of where that kind of works the best. And that's why I like the mid KV on a bigger prop because it kind of pushes that shitty part of the tune down lower in the throttle where you never end up flying in that area. So that was another thing. I also, um, I run soft mounts on my motor mounts. I run my whole TPU mounts, kind of a soft mount for the, for the camera, which most people don't think about. I also run, um, you know, the bobbins, standard bobbins, stuff like that. And, um, so there's, and then, and an ND filter at the end of the day too. So if you do, like this, 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 and that, you put all those things together, that achieves clean film. You can't just do one thing and expect miracles. So it's, a, it's you know, and then frame design is also a huge part of it. Like certain frames flex too much or, I've flown you know, some real, certain, some real mm-hmm. like name brand, big name frames before that I'm just like, how do people fly this? You know, exactly. like the noise, the quality the of the carbon. Pushed yeah. It. Yeah, the hype train pushed it into an area that it never deserved to be in the first place. So it's just, it's one of those things. And it's, you know, it's back to preference and where you live and how you fly and all that stuff. So there's so many variables in stuff. So when people say, what's the best combo? There really is no best combo, but what's the best combo for you and your area and the place you decide to fly is what each person needs to take on, you know, and figure out what they like, you know, and that's basically... That's the best it. advice I could give somebody. Do you run a high idle? Like above average idle? Oh, you know, that's a good question. Yeah, I actually do. Um, I run uh, usually – what is the uh, stock idle on like beta flies, like 4.4 or something like that? I think so, yeah. Four. Yeah, so if it's like say 4.4, I'm not even sure. Mine might be like 5 or 5.2. And I, the reason why that I, I actually run a higher idle is because it seems like it – kind of runs a little bit better and when you drop out of huge dives you have a little more rpm on those props so you don't get as much waggle when you come out of the air totally it kind dude. of just flies better i run seven percent idle on all my setups and even when i was talking to jordan he runs i think like eight percent or something like that and i totally agree it's like it's like anti-lag on a car like the turbo's already spooled like it's just waiting 
you know? Yeah, exactly. So you're already like the motor has to kind of work work a lot less because it's already up there, and that might have to do a lot with loading the prop. If it's too low, it's got to jolt that prop into the speed, and that might make it flex a little bit, adding more noise into the gyro. So that's a that's a good point that people might want to mess around with just to see if it helps out. Yeah, the, you know some of their problems they might be having. I'm I've been all about it, and I'm still gonna stick with it. I've been doing it for like a year. I came across running the high idle, but the first time it ever dicked me was diving buildings. Actually, like I had to be so inverted to not be pulled away from the building at zero throttle. Yeah, that's a good point, and that's probably why I run mine around 5.2. It gives a little more control when I'm coming down a cliff wall. Yeah, like when I go to Where hover, have, like you know, I, I lift up my stick and it takes off like in the first And it just 20, jumps off the ground. Like first 20% yeah. it's off the ground. Oh, yeah, like that's the same thing with my 7-inch. I was running around 6 or 7 on that thing just to test it out, and the minute I flicked the, the motor, it took off off the ground, so I had to lower it because it was just too much thrust because my setups are running like 12 – 14 to 1 thrust ratios on some of my setups so they're so powerful and that's what also helps make them more efficient yeah and i think it's better too because you get way more stick feel right like if you have a inch and a half stick throw and it's off the ground in the first you know 10 percent of it then you have the next 90 to feel it out whereas if you're not hovering like a tiny whoop is like the worst you're like flying in the top 30 percent all the time yeah and um yeah, and what, what's trippy is I also fly with a short throw throttle like a racers do, and I only started that about um, six months ago because I didn't realize until someone took a picture of me flying that I'm a hybrid grip flyer. You know, I pinch with one and kind of do weirdness with the other. So I I found out that, like, having a short throw, it was a lot easier to get to full throttle without making so much movement. But it also, with the higher stator, it was still able to keep it smooth. But if you have like a wide stator that's a little more grunty and you use a short throw, it might be harder to control because it's going to be much more reactive yeah. and maybe climb when you didn't want to climb as much. You know what I mean? Like instantly. Totally. Yeah. So that, that's something to think for the average flyer about if they want to venture down that road or not as far as getting a, a I short th- throw I think and all the that th- stuff. I think the theme of the podcast is, you know, tinker with it all and see what you like. Yeah, like there's no perfect setup. Um, multi-copter builders is a niche market. Come check us out if you like my style of flying or want to get into that kind of stuff. Also, like I want to drop my rooms. Like I have the mid-range mountain surfing room on Facebook. These guys are welcome to some learn about my products and ask questions. Yeah, some of us call it a group. Yeah, and then I have I also have multi-copter builders, and both those kind of groups are both to to gain knowledge about products know what's coming out next when f- stuff is in stock friendship you know and just meeting up and just kind of all of the above i'm gonna start getting some more guys out here flying with me you know you know it's kind of hard when you live away from so many people they got to travel so far and like it's just kind of like the fpv community is still so small people are so spread out like people ask me why don't i have a brick and mortar store i said why two people would show up yeah. because that's about the only <laughs> 
I have two people sell like sixty dollars worth of product out of there a month. Yeah, a month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and pay fifteen hundred dollars rent money yeah. on a on a business you make no money on in the first place. So it's kind of funny. So anyway, word man. Well, I think uh, we'll wrap it up there. You just shouted out Multicopter Builders and your Facebook group. Anything else like social media or things to look out for? You got new products? Like this is your shout out. I'm on Instagram and really. Uh, no new products coming out, you know, after I invented the 2208, I've kind of thought like people are going, are you going to make a bigger prop? Are you going to make a bigger motors or whatever? And I'm just like, you know, right now I don't have any of that in mind because I feel like when you go up in prop size, you lose the acro ability or when you crash, your quad explodes more. It's just, it's kind of a losing battle. And I think 2208 is where the, where the battery starts getting limited to how much juice you could suck out of it to the weight to thrust ratio and all the above flying characteristics and kind of the whole gamut yeah i feel you i mean that when when i go to that size quad that's what i'm going to go with you sold me your footage sold me man and this conversation but your footage first yeah well i use real steady so and then i just sell to the public like i'm not using it Uh, yeah for sure uh yeah i let let the record also say i do write made with real steady in my youtube videos yeah. So anyway, um, if uh, these guys want to use code blah, 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 you make it up right now for 10% at my store, drop it. What do you got? Uh, code fly life. What's the name? Or code podcast. Let's do code podcast. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. And uh, you could get 10% off my motors or anything in my store. Yeah, thanks, man. I'll uh, also drop that in the beginning of the video, too. Or, I mean, in the beginning of the podcast, okay. like in the intro. Okay, perfect. And then, so, um, are you just going to cut this thing up to interesting parts, or are you just going to let this whole fucking thing run? Whole thing. Minus the bathroom break. That's the only thing I'll cut out, bro. You don't think any part was boring in here? No, like, not at all, man. And, like, to, like my audience, you know, like... When I started this, right, we did spun, and that was really hard to coordinate because there's three people with the guests. There's four people you got to coordinate for an episode, and the audio you got to edit. And then I looked at the other podcast, and like the FPV show was very interview based and whatnot, and they had that like fun vibe figured out. So I just wanted to go with like the conversation piece, like just getting to know what people really think. You know, it's not like like not the usual like how'd you get into this, what's going on, you know, like what's your setup. It's more like. What's your idol? Like, why do you run that? You know, like those kinds of topics. The under yeah, the surface I actually, level. I actually like, I actually like the questions because it it allows people to look at something in a different light rather than maybe a way that they were looking at it or going about it. Especially when you're talking about clean film, everyone wants to pull clean film, but there's a system to be able to pull that clean film, and it, it's kind of like ten things working in your favor to be able to pull. Clean film, along with weather too. Of course, you know. Yeah, I mean, weather is one of the big things that's gonna kind of fuck you all up. You know, winds the fucking devil. You know, yeah. so yeah, so weather permitting for sure. But so I want to, you know, like it's FPV is gonna move on. There's gonna be different products, and I don't want to like tell people, hey, like you know, Richard's running this, Jordan's running this. It's awesome. I want like you guys to talk about why you run it to teach people how to think about why they should run what they run. And like their setups, you know, yeah. it's like teach them the thought process, not what motor it should be. 
Yeah, exactly. And and that's so, such a better way for these people to kind of go through their own, own journey. And like you said, I'm a niche market, so it's going to basically be, if you like my style and view an area similar and, you know, do they buy my product? If not, you know, I don't give a fuck because you know what? Quite honestly, I've always made my own frames for me. My designs, if you like them, they kind of grew into like, you know, because I make 20 bucks off a frame. It's like fucking big yeah. deal. In my day job, I make you know, 150 bucks an hour. Like, I don't need $20 a frame. It does not much. And I got to go get all these parts and piece them together and mail them and all this and now, shit. And now I'm in so the customer like service hard. market. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, I'm not really wanting to be in that market in the first place. This opened up as a venture to help my friends out and make it easier for everybody else. Yeah, I wanted to make money. But after, you know, I should have closed down a long time ago if I was actually trying to make money. You know what I mean? To, like just live like off of it, yeah. just... Yeah, these other shops just bled to death, you know, like, uh, you know, what's it, Multi-Rotorvania, multi they went under, and now they had their place, you know, it's just, there's not enough money, there's too many shops, there's too much competition, everybody's lowballing, and there's too much innovation the wrong way, and hype trains that push people in the wrong products. Yeah. But anyway, we're not even on talking show anymore, but, nah, <laughs> or are good, we? Man. Sweet, man. So, well, thanks for doing the show. Uh, we need to do this again sometime because I feel like you got some insights, but I appreciate it, and I'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you. All right, man. When, when are you uh, making your way back to California? Um, I'll probably be up there, like, right at the start of summer or late spring. That's a good time. Why don't, why don't you plan on coming down and swooping through the valley, maybe picking up Kidder and coming on down to my neck of the woods? You got to ripping out here for something different. You got a couch or a guest room? Oh hell no! I, you know, for all I know, you you could be on Megan's list because that's what you look like right now with them glasses on. Yeah, I want to wear your skin on my birthday, Richard Shelton. Mm-hmm.